This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We got talking education again last week and got a great email from Mike. And Mike was asking questions that I thought we would use and then expand upon so that we could maybe provide a little bit more perspective on education concerns here. Every day this week, we've got schools who are out in Ontario on one-day strikes. And in fact, today, we happen to have the entire London District Catholic School Board out. As a parent, is it swaying me in either direction? No. No, it is not. I'm not worrying about child care. Uh, I'm worried about how much gas is being used in my car, I guess, more than anything. For the uh, the escapades of strike day, I don't know what's going on. No idea. But Mike sent along a note and asked about teacher numbers. And this is something we're going to ask our next guest about. But he was wondering about educational assistance, class size ratios. And he had talked with a teacher who said she was burned out from having to deal with the other class issues. Bullying. Poor parenting, kids just being dumped with all kinds of problems on the school and on the teachers so that they could solve them. And he was wondering how things compared around the country. Now, that we can look at this in a number of ways. And the first stop we're going to make is Alberta because they are soon to head into their own bargaining session. And Alberta actually has a wage freeze for public sector workers. So money is tied up in a much different way. Like Ontario, they are dealing with kind of a – they're boom bust in Alberta. There, You can look at their economy and if you graph it, it goes up and it goes way down. It goes up and it goes way down. And they're in a down period now. We are in a down period now if you look at where our deficit sits. So – what is Alberta seeing about Ontario? What are their concerns about education? Let's get some other perspective outside of our walls. Jason Schilling is the president of the Alberta Teachers Association, and we spoke with him this morning. And Jason started off talking about the mood in Alberta when it comes to education. We'll be heading into bargaining later on this spring. And in the last two rounds of bargaining, teachers have identified um, two major key areas, actually, and those were class sizes and the composition of those classrooms. And so looking at the diversity that's within those classrooms and being able to meet the needs of their students. Okay, and when you say diversity that's within those classrooms, what's that referring to? Well, when you look at um, students who are coming in, because we don't have a class size cap here in Alberta like other jurisdictions do across the country. So we'll have students who come in with a variety of needs. We'll have English language learners. We'll have students uh, with special needs. And it's looking at the diversity of all of those students who are coming into class with classes that are growing in size. And so teachers are indicating that they're, they're having troubles meeting the needs of all their students in the way that they would like to. Man, does that ever sound familiar? Because when you talk with teachers in Ontario, there is so much being made of a lack of assistance in the classroom for for students that, that are exactly what you've described and a lack of education assistance. How are you doing in Alberta in terms of education assistance? 
Well, when you looked at the budget that came down in the fall, it had a $275 million shortfall, and the government has indicated that the budget will remain flat going into the next few years as well. So school boards have said that they will not be able to cover this lack of funding, and when you look at the classroom and who in the cuts that can be made. Programs are one, but also personnel is another one. And so we're concerned about teachers losing their jobs and educational assistants as well who support teachers in those classrooms. When you talk about the lack of a cap for classrooms, is there basically a, a, a number that it does kind of average out to in terms of how many students per class? Well, we had a report many, many years ago that gave us uh, a class size average that um, was different for different divisions within schools, so K to three, five to nine, et cetera. Um, our average, the target is 17 students um, per class in K to three. We're averaging well above that, and I hear reports from teachers in junior high and high school of classrooms of 38, 40 in my past when I've been, I've, you know, I'm a teacher as well. I've had classes um, of 42 in high school English. And so our class sizes are growing here because there's no, um, there's no cap within our collective agreement that says this is the number that we should be targeting at. With all of the one-day strikes going on in Ontario, we're looking around the country. We're looking at other provinces and some of the concerns in education there. And today, we are in Alberta as we talk with Jason Schilling, who is the president of the Alberta Teachers Association. Jason, with regard to what's happening in Ontario, how closely do you kind of monitor what other provinces are doing, and in this case, what Ontario is doing? Well, we watch closely um, because governments uh, tend to share bad policy ideas, and uh, we've been watching our colleagues in Ontario uh, fight for the things that we believe here in Alberta, and we're very supportive of our colleagues in Ontario and the work that they're doing because they are fighting for what teachers care about the most, class sizes, their students, the ability to reach their students and teach their students in a way that they, they feel is um, appropriate. I mean, school is all about building relationships, and when you have eroding classroom conditions, it's hard to build those relationships to make sure that those students are successful, and that's what every teacher wants. And so we are very supportive of our colleagues in Ontario. When you talk with teachers, that's exactly what you hear. We'll have others who will say, you know what, this is about money. The government in Ontario says, no, this is a lot about money. In Alberta right now, you're looking at a wage freeze. So what does that mean for teachers? Well, we went into um, our last bargaining round, and we had to go to mediation, and the mediator recommended an arbitration process when it came to salary because we were far apart on that. The arbitration came down last week, and uh, a with a reward of zero. So what this means is that teachers in Alberta have taken seven zeros in the last eight years. And uh, there's concerns by teachers, rightfully so, I believe, that their wages are not keeping up with inflation. And that's really what teachers are looking for. They're not looking for huge increases. They're looking for wages that keep up with inflation because they are also members of our community. They pay taxes. They have mortgages, they have car payments, and they want to be able to um, not always fall behind inflation. How surprising was it that you went to arbitration and got a zero increase? Um, well, I, su- surprising to me and disappointing. I had hopes uh, for 
a modest increase like we had talked about with teachers because I do believe that teachers deserve it. Um, teachers are continually asked to do more with less and I think uh, making sure that they have wages that at least keep pace with inflation is the right thing to do. And so I was uh, very frustrated by the arbitration settlement. Um, we wanted the process to be fair and independent, and it was, and so I'm not going to complain about that, but I, I am frustrated by the outcome of the arbitration process. We're talking with Jason Schilling, who is the president of the Alberta Teachers Association, looking at how things are going in Alberta. One of the things that is kind of on the table here in Ontario is more online learning. How is Alberta when it comes to online learning? Well, right now we are under um, a curriculum review that's been going on for several years now and uh, was paused by our newly elected government. And so we're still waiting to modernize our current curriculum that we are using right now. We have some teachers in in schools who are teaching curriculum that are older than they are. And so we've not really gotten into the notion of e-learning along the lines of what Ontario has, though I would not be supportive of that move because I think that students benefit from relationships in the classroom and they need to have teachers who are helping them through that process. That is, um, research tells us that that relationship that you have with a teacher is really paramount to the work that they're doing. Jason, in closing, if you were to rank kind of one, two, three, or one, two, three, four, the things that you deem most important going into your own bargaining session in Alberta, how would they rank one, two, three, or one, two, three, four? Well, teachers help determine our initial proposal, and if, if we go the way that we have the last several years, class size, composition, the diversity of what we're seeing in our classrooms and support for those students are, are one and two, but teachers are also looking for... Um, you know, a modest increase that will keep them in pace with inflation. And so at the heart of everything that a teacher is looking at, it's their students in their classroom first. And I think that we need to keep that in mind. Jason, thank you so much for talking with us today. You're welcome. Have a good day. That's Jason Schilling, president of the Alberta Teachers Association. So let's do a couple of little comparisons because, you know, it's easy to sit back and fix things when you don't actually have to hold or operate the tools, right? Oh, you know what you should do? It's kind of like that dad that comes over your shoulder as you're doing something, fixing stuff up around the house. Fortunately, my dad's not like this. He's the one that I have to go over his shoulder to do this because I have no clue. But the dad that comes in and says, oh, what are you doing there? I'm just uh, just kind of fixing this cabinet door. It's come loose. Oh, you're using that? Yeah, should should I not be using that? That's not what I would do. So that's the kind of thing that you can have if you sit back and try and fix things from far away. And I'm not trying to be that person. But when you compare in Alberta, they have some very similar things. They have no class size cap. And the class size is a concern in Ontario in that they would like to raise it, therefore you need fewer classes, and away you go. One of the things that happens at the high school level that I think is very unfortunate is if you don't get a certain number of students, a class can't exist. So let's say, what's a good example? A law class, because not everybody will take law. It's not one of those prerequisites. It's not one of those mandatory courses. So if you don't get enough people to sign up for a law class, then all of a sudden, you don't have law class. And I think that's too bad. I don't know how the ratios will be affected there. The ratios are more a concern of how many students a teacher has to monitor. So if you raise it from 22 to 28, and right now, numbers are a lot of times higher than that anyway. 
you know, they can say there's a cap on this, but well, to make this school work, we had to have a few more people here. We had to have a few more here. So they don't have a class size cap. Ontario is battling over that right now. But I think the biggest concern, and this is, this is short-sightedness by the government if they think they can just take a brush and paint some lines here. You have a number of students coming into schools with special needs. We do not have so-called special needs schools anymore. We have integration. And there are a lot of positives to that. But at the same time, there are a lot of challenges within the classroom. And if you have someone who is an EA for a special needs kid, then, okay, that's that's helpful. But sometimes you don't have that. Or sometimes you might have two special needs kids and you will only have one EA for the two of them. That can be a challenge. The other thing that we have to take into consideration, or another thing that Jason Schilling pointed out, is English language learners, where you have students who have come over from a different country, have not learned English as a language to the point that they can sit in a classroom and have all kinds of mathematical numerals fired at them or read a story that's a chapter book or any of those things, and yet they do need to go to school and are going to school. So what do we do about that? And it's a case where if you were designing a company, and if we looked at education as a company, You would look and say, okay, what are our needs? What do we have to fulfill? And you would look at situations where you would look at the operation of a teacher at the front of the room and you would wonder, okay, do they have all of the tools that they need to succeed? Well, no, because this is an issue behavior-wise. This is an issue with a language barrier. This is an issue because of a special needs issue. And you would say, okay, well then, in order to make this classroom function well, we're going to need the teacher, and then we're going to need this person and this person and this person, and they're going to have to be in the class. And there, now that classroom can function properly. And that's how you would set it up. We've done it backwards. We've done the old more with less. And everybody is being asked to do more with less. Because everything now comes down to such a bottom line. You know, We never used to have the bottom line maybe to the same extent that we do now. So we've gone the other way, and it's, well, we need to save some money, so we'll take one of those assistants out, or both of those assistants out, and the teacher will just have to make do. They'll just have to figure it out. The other thing to be concerned about when it comes to class sizes, and this is something that troubles me a lot at the elementary school level, when you are teaching a classroom full of 28 kids, you have to teach toward the bottom Not the top. You don't push kids to excel like others, like the high achievers. You have to direct toward the lowest common denominator. And I find that very sad for the kids who are high achievers. I find that very sad for the teacher. And that's another thing that needs to be addressed. So if you were creating this as a machine, as a company, if you were inventing education, these are things that you would have to look at and you'd have to come at it from that perspective. Instead, we're doing it the other way. How much can we take away and still get away with this? And that's what it's come down to. Salaries do factor into that. Teachers have to know that. But they aren't the be-all and the end-all. And in the end, we've got a government trying to save money and education is an easy pick. So, big fight, long fight, yeah. Are these one-day strikes doing anything? No. So what's next? We'll have to wait to find out, but you have to imagine that that word escalation isn't too far away. 
Let's begin this hour talking about kind of the the monetary attitude that we all have, the capitalistic attitude that we all have. Because anything you can do now can be monetized. You can make a hobby horse, we can monetize that. You can knit a scarf, we can monetize that. Refinish a table, that too. And what used to be just hobbies, knitting a scarf, maybe you give it to a niece or a nephew, or refinishing a table, you take that to a niece or a nephew. Now is, yeah, but if we could sell this, we could make money, and that stuff that you're doing on the side, that turns into not a hobby, but a side hustle. And this is something that Hope Reese who is a freelance journalist, has looked into and detailed so well that we wanted to have Hope on to talk a little bit about the difference between hobbies and side hustles. And Hope began by defining a side hustle. Yeah, so it kind of emerged out of hustle culture that a lot of us are aware of. And especially Americans, but everyone is starting to work more hours kind of around the clock, especially in the age of the internet, where that makes it easier. (laughs) The side hustle has also um, been kind of facilitated by the the growth of the internet because we have a lot more options for um, not just kind of engaging with uh, all these different um, avenues for, you know, selling things online or starting a YouTube channel, but we, we kind of think about it in a monetary way or in terms of kind of how can I build a brand for myself. So uh, I think of a side hustle as not um, not always a bad thing, but when it takes away from this really important time that you need to kind of reflect, to, um, to learn a new uh, skill, to kind of go deeper into a subject without the the worry or the um, kind of uh, anxiety about uh, who's watching it, um, you know, how, how successful you're going to be at it, um, and just uh, how much money you're going to earn and just really doing it for, for the pleasure, then it becomes a problem, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a really interesting thing to look at because if we rewind time, pre-internet, you had people who, well, let's say, would knit and would knit all kinds of things and give away. They couldn't find enough people to give mittens and sweaters and toques to. And now you'd look at that same person and say, well, you're spending all this time. You're having trouble finding family members. Why don't you just kind of start up a website and or even, you know, join an existing marketplace type website? And why don't you just sell your stuff there? It, it just seems to dovetail in kind of nicely. But at the same time, it, it's still kind of a hobby in some ways, right? Of course, yeah. And, you know, these things are, are great to do, again. Um, and they they can be a great way to make money. Um, but, uh, yeah, they it, it is different with the Internet because it, it kind of does open up this, opens up all these avenues for uh, making what you're doing kind of a public thing rather than, um, necessarily just something, yeah, that you can just work on for the pleasure of it. We're talking with Hope Reese, who is a freelance journalist who right now, Hope, you're living in, in Budapest, Hungary? I am, yes. Um, I'm originally from Long Island, New York, but uh, yeah, I'm spending a year here 
writing. And again, um, I'm really grateful to be able to do this because of, you know, being able to work online. But uh, yeah, um, it's great. One of the things you mentioned was time. And I'm sure as a freelance journalist, that's that's tough for you because, again, you can work around the clock. You, you don't have to have set hours. You could be working 24 hours a day. And if we look at the 2019 Bureau of Labor and Statistics survey that was done in the United States, people say that they would love to have a hobby, but they just don't have time for a hobby. What do you make of, of that kind of thing? Yeah, that is a really interesting point because, um, well, as you said, I I think it's really amazing if you can be able to do the work that you have fun doing. But even if you do have fun doing your job, like I'm sure you do, um, being on the radio, you still have to, uh, it's it still work, you know, you still have to treat it in this kind of different way. And with the uh, 2019 Bureau of Labor and Statistics survey, um, Americans do think that they have less time than they actually do. So, uh, yeah, so this is something we just hear all the time. You know, if you bring up that the concept of a hobby, um, people think they, they really just can't do it. But when you look at the full day that you have, you really, I mean, we all make kind of priorities and... Uh, you, you, we actually have a lot more time than we think. A lot of the time that we have, we end up um, spending it watching TV. Yeah, really. I mean, that, and that's a great point. You you look at kind of the, the push of all of the streaming services, and people are always talking about, oh, well, this show's starting, and have you seen this? And, oh, you've got to catch up. you got to binge watch 10 episodes tonight. It almost becomes this, this job that you get to do. But in doing that and having, like, little side hustles where we're always thinking about making money, you alluded to this a little bit. What is that doing to us? Is, is it creating kind of a, an unhealthy state? Yeah, I mean, I I enjoy watching TV as well, but I think we all kind of know that feeling of spending too much time doing that. It, it isn't actually rejuvenating. It, it's a little bit draining. Like you end up feeling um, like you don't have energy left. Whereas when you spend time, the people I talk to who are experts really emphasize that the ideal hobby is something where it isn't just pleasurable, but you're actually kind of investing some like some intellectual effort in it. You, you're thinking, you're um, reflecting, you're learning. So that is, that ends up being both like a relaxing thing as well as um, a fulfilling thing more than a, a kind of passive activity like watching TV or scrolling on Instagram and those things that we all really do. Uh, we, we do those out of habit and because also it's very addictive to, you know, spend time on your phone. Yeah, exactly. So when we're looking at at an overall in this, if you are somebody that is feeling the pressure to always do the the side hustle, knitting and 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 let, you should sell that or or refinishing a table and you've got to sell that, maybe it's time to to sit back, find something that's fulfilling and that's going to give us kind of a better mental state in all of this, take a break from the commerce side of things, take a break from just the the mind-numbing watching TV, find ourselves something to do that is a hobby. It's funny, I actually heard something interesting as well about uh, that people actually spend a lot of time watching things on YouTube, like how to, you know, refinish this furniture or you know, kind of like craft type things. And 
uh, we actually think that we're learning how to do it, but we aren't. If we're not actually doing the thing ourselves, um, watching it is uh, just giving us this kind of false illusion of of learning, which is, uh, I found that really interesting, actually. Yeah, that is, because a lot of people will spend time doing that. But yeah, unless you're taking your hands and actually going through the process, it makes sense that you still don't really know how to do it. Hope, thanks so much for the conversation today. This uh, This brings up a really unique topic. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hope Reese, a freelance journalist on hobbies versus side hustles and how maybe we just need to focus in on hobbies. Is is it worth the side hustle to make the 60 bucks and I don't know and and have the the same work pressures that you have? Got to get that done. Got to get that hat knit tonight. We need two of those hats. They're going to be sent out tomorrow. What do you think? We think we multitask. We actually don't. There's no such thing as, as multitasking. The human brain can actually only do one thing at a time. We might do a collection of things and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this, but you're never really doing two things at the same time unless maybe you're playing the piano. You know, you, you've got the, I'm, I'm not a piano player, What you got the harmony with one hand and whatever's not the harmony, melody, is that what it is, with the other hand. That's about as multitasky as we get. However, there are times when it's really hard to describe it as anything but multitasking. Let's take, for example, the story of Jeremy Skiba. He is the voice of the Port Huron Prowlers and does a fantastic job at that. But he was asked to do a little something else for the organization. Let's welcome Jeremy to London Live. Jeremy, how are things going today? Good. How are you, Mike? Not bad. Okay, we've we've left it at you are a play-by-play broadcaster for the Port Huron Prowlers, so not too far away from London, Ontario. We've hit Sarnia. You keep going, you'll hit Port Huron. And then you were doing exactly what when your life kind of took a different turn and you added a different position? Yeah, so um, on the last Saturday, um, you know, we, we finished with the game. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I played hockey as a kid. And, uh, you know, I was hockey as a kid from age 8 to 10. And I'd always joked with our, you know, our coaches, yeah, if you ever need a backup goalie, um, you know, emergency backup goalie for an injury or something. Yeah, I'll suit up, sit on the bench. You know, they'd, they'd laugh. You know, they're like, "Yeah, we'll, we'll tell you if you need you." And uh, last Saturday, both our goalies um, were injured, and uh, um, after the game, we went uh, to go to pick up some, uh, you know, snacks, um, some like smoothies, things of that healthy stuff. And uh, I head back to the bus, and our coach tells me, "Yeah, we're gonna have to sign you as emergency backup goalie." And there you go. And at that point, you're bringing smoothies onto the bus, and you're mm-hmm. told you're going to have to sign you as the emergency backup goalie. Did you just go ha 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 and keep carrying the smoothies back to players? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, in a way, I, I, I stopped. I was like, "Are you serious?" Um, to our head coach Joe Pace, and he said, "Yeah." And I think I asked about nine times more, "Are you serious?" And he just kept replying, "Yeah, yeah." And I was thinking in my head, you know. If I actually play, but then I was also thinking an opportunity like this is never going to happen again. So yeah, I, I, you know I'm definitely on board. <laughs> so you'd had injuries to how many goalies at that point to bring them to say who else are we going to get? How many goalies have been hurt? 
at that point, three. Um, one of them was dealing with a concussion. One had a lower body injury, and then the other one, uh, I think, uh, he had just gotten out of a concussion, and uh, he wasn't feeling a hundred percent, so he didn't want to uh, go out there and face any shots. Certainly. So, when you yeah. played minor hockey, were you even a goalie? No, uh, as I, I always wanted to be a goalie as a kid, but no, I uh, I was always too afraid of the, of, <laughs> of the puck back then. So uh, I played forward, um, mainly left winger for uh, from yeah, like I said, uh, the age of <laughs> to ten. So the team, in other words, was out of options. You were the last option, and that was going to be it. So they they made you a goalie. Did you sign a contract to be a goalie? Uh, yes, I did. Um, yeah, they drew up. Well, the next day, our assistant coach Matt Graham uh, gives me a call. Right before lunch, he says, yeah, I come down to the hotel lobby, and um, yeah, the contract was there, and yeah, a few guys were around there <laughs> taking pictures of me and videos of uh, yeah, me signing my first professional uh, hockey contract. <laughs> All right, and, and that, that would be one thing if it was just, okay, now, now you've got a contract, but this is not the end of the season. Uh, Jeremy, you actually had a game very soon in the future. What happened there? Oh, oh! You mean as in uh, past weekend? Yeah, when when you were officially a goaltender for the Port Huron Prowlers. Oh, well, yeah. Well, uh, you know, the week went by. Uh, we had um, uh, Kelly Curl uh, play that game where I was the backup, and then during the week, uh, yeah, we you know uh, we made a trade uh, for Blake Scott from Watertown, and then um, yeah, we signed another one. So this past weekend, I was just I was just in the back in the booth. Um, no. <laughs> but you you just kind of glossed over it there. Jeremy, you glossed over it. You, there was a game where you were in goalie gear, and a game was going on, and, uh, and were you in the net in warm-up at any time? Oh, 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 oh that's what you meant. No, uh, yeah, so during warm-ups, I went out there. Um, I, I Towards the end, I did get in the net. We played a game called Last Puck, where it's... We basically flip a puck into the zone, and uh, yeah, everybody just tries to score. And whenever you score, you know, you guys go off, go off the ice. So yeah, I was on the ice for that, and I took a few, uh, you know, rinky ding shots <laughs> around the boards like that. Uh, you know, when I was stretching. But uh, yeah, in that game, uh, in terms of the the game itself, the full sixty minutes, no, I did not get in. I was on the bench the whole time. But still, uh, doing the broadcast. Yeah, you were on the ice, and and there's the other part of this because you still had another job to do. So. You were wearing goalie gear, and yet it wasn't that you guys didn't do a broadcast. You you did the broadcast in goalie equipment from the bench? Yeah, so um, there's a website that covers uh, the FPHL and also the SPHL called Bus League Hockey. And so they caught wind of you know the team had signed me because it was on the FPHL website under transactions. And on Twitter, um, on the way to the game, um, Matt Grand, uh, Graham opened a tweet from him saying, um, you know, it was like a petition to do the broadcast from the bench tonight. Because originally I wasn't a broadcast. And um, Joe, Joe, Joe looks up at me and he goes, oh, can you do it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. As long as we have enough extension cords uh, to reach the bench, yeah, I'll definitely do it. And there you go. I mean, there's a website that was the league. Came up with the idea and I thought it was genius. And I, yeah, I definitely wanted to do it. So what was the difference doing a game? Obviously, the goalie gear is a little heavier than a suit, but mm. what was the main difference doing a game in the goalie gear and uh, and where you were compared to where you normally are? Well, normally where I am, it's a lot more quiet. Um, <laughs> the guy's yelling on the bench, you know, um, whether it be to 
for line changes or celebrating after goals or things of that sort. Uh, it's also harder to see the uh, bottom left and right corners. Usually you'll have to like stick your head out of the uh, bench uh, to get a good look at those. And some guys, sometimes the guys will lean over the bench too, so they'll cut off angles. And every now and again, a, a referee or a linesman would stay right up, just right in front of me to watch play uh, in the neutral zone. So yeah, there were a few distractions in the way, but still, I mean, it was something that was absolutely incredible to do. We're talking with Jeremy Skiba, who is the play-by-play voice of the Port Huron Prowlers, who was pressed into duty after three goaltenders were injured in that he had to be the backup goalie and then go and broadcast a game. If you could do a game from the bench again, would you, or are you happy with a much higher perch? Uh, yeah, I, I think I would, I would definitely do it again. Um, one of the main reasons why this was also we were able to do this easily is because um, we had a few other, besides the goalies, we had a few other injuries. Um, and so we didn't have a full roster when we went down there. So there was more room on the bench. If you see the pictures online, you can see like I had a, plenty of space and I wasn't really in the way. But yeah, I mean, if the opportunity presents itself again, and we thought about it uh, as well um, when we came back um, after the uh, Georgia trip, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to try it again. Now, at any time during that game, was there a risk that you would have to go in? At any time, did the other goaltender take a shot around the collarbone, or or did he get tripped up in the net in any way, and you thought, oh, here we go, what are we going to do now? Uh, no, not not that I can remember. I mean, like I said, it was a high-scoring game. The final score was 11-9, but uh, I, the game plan was to keep Kelly in there you know, for the full 60 minutes. Um, like I said, it was a high shot game too. So I think he did a great job in net. Uh, I didn't think he deserved to get pulled. Pulled, but um, no, yeah, he, he was fine after the game. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like that was also you know before the game, it was on my mind. But while broadcasting, I didn't really think much about going in because I think wanted to stick stick me with my broadcasting duty. Well, keep uh, keep on the right side of the puck there, but it's amazing to know that when you're called into service, uh, you'll do just about anything the team needs you to do. Jeremy, congratulations on the entire experience, and uh, job well done. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Yep, have a go. You too. That's Jeremy Skiba, Port Huron Prowler, broadcaster, and at times backup goaltender. And at times, both at the same time. That's what. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. Wild.